Hello, and welcome to the art of selling online courses. We're here to share winning strategies and secret hacks from top performers in the online course industry. My name is John Ainsworth, and today's guest is Matthew McWilliams. Matt helps online course business owners and brands. He helps people small and large to leverage the power of partners to grow their business. He teaches you how to make money as an affiliate and how to work better with affiliates. He's worked with companies and entrepreneurs like Michael Hyatt, Brian Tracy, Lewis Howes, Jeff Goins, Ray Edwards, Shutterfly, Adidas, and more. And today we're going to talk about the combination of passions and profits, leadership, and attention triggers. So it's going to be a great episode. I just want to remind you of we've got an offer going on at the moment where if you go to pimpyourfunnel.com and fill out the form there, then we're going to pick 10 people this month who we're going to do free funnel reviews for. So we do these video funnel reviews, about like half an hour breakdown of everything in your homepage, your sales page, your checkout page. We charge $1,000 for these normally, but we're going to give away 10 these months to listeners of this podcast. So go to pimpyourfunnel.com, fill out the report and see if you get that valuable funnel review for your funnel. Matt, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey John. Thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, nobody ever calls me Matthew. Except my mom and my <laughs> wife, when she's particularly enamored with me, she might call me Matthew. But yeah, thanks for thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the way you say Adidas. That is most people, at least in the United States, we say Adidas. But I, I love that you said it the proper way. So good job. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about this whole passions and profits thing. What happens to people when they've only got one side of that equation? Yeah. You know, I mean, you got obviously got course creators, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we see this a lot with kind of the early stage entrepreneurs. They have a passion. They have something, they have a message they have for the world. They don't know what kind of products to create. You know, they don't know what kind of course to create. They don't know what price point to sell it at. They don't know any of that stuff. And so we typically see one of two kind of extreme scenarios with entrepreneurs. We see that first entrepreneur, we'll talk about that when we talk about monetizing later and talk about like affiliate marketing and things like that. But, you know, they, they are passionate. They have a message. They're changing the world. Like I've been there, John, my first platform, you know, gosh, it feels like forever ago, but it was only a little bit over a decade ago. I was making an impact. I was changing people's lives. I was getting emails and blog comments and social media messages, you know, every week, two, three times a week saying, you know, Matt, you, you changed my life, Matt. I, I had one guy write to me, you know, Matt, I, I was thinking about committing suicide. I read your blog post. I did it. You made my marriage better. You made me a better leader. You, you saved my life. You changed my life, whatever it was. The problem with that is as an entrepreneur, that's not a form of payment. Like I, you know, the mortgage company doesn't take positive emails from my customers and say, we're going to give you a $300 discount on your mortgage this month. You know, my kids soccer club, we pay them thousands of dollars a year. Uh, they don't give us a $200 discount every time I forward them a positive tweet. You know, and when somebody says like, I, I literally, you know, helped somebody not commit suicide. You know what I made from that? Zero dollars. And so what ends up happening when you have an entrepreneur who's in that scenario, they are passionate about what they're doing, but they're not making a profit is they burn out and they give up. It's just not sustainable long-term. The passion itself will sustain you for, for some people like me, a couple of years. For other people, it might only be a year. Some people, it might be longer, it might be three, four years, but eventually you're going to burn out. You're going to quit and the world's going to miss out on your message. And then the flip side of that is the, the people who are, they got the money thing down. They're making great money. Money's not an issue. They are as profitable as can be. 
but they are not passionate about what they're doing. They chased just the money. They picked, you know, their niche because it's what Google, you know, keyword suggester said they should, you know, they should pick. They picked it because that's where, you know, quote unquote, the money's at. And so the same thing happens there. They burn out usually a lot quicker because they don't have the passion. They don't, they're not, they're just not that excited about what they're doing. And so the whole premise of the book, you know, turn your passions into profits is, is having both of those, you know, how do we take our passions, our message, the thing that we've been called to the, the, the way that we contribute to the, you know, the greater good of the world, how do we take that and turn it into a profitable business so that we can actually, so that it's sustainable. So we can keep doing it for the long term. Well, how do you do that? How do you take having just one side of that and go through to having both? What's the process? Yeah, you know, that's what we, we've coached people for years on. And, and so we've worked with both extremes. So let's talk about the one. I've got a passion. I, I think I have a message for the world. You know, step one to that whole process is just to clarify who you help. We have an exercise in there. This is not something that we created, although we've refined it over the years. You know, who do you help, right? Get very crystal clear on that. We walk you through how to create, you know, an ideal customer avatar and things like that. But there's three questions that that you need to ask yourself. You know, if you're like, well, I'm not 100% sure, or I think I know I'm kind of like, I have an idea. Like for some people, they'll come to me and be like, well, it's personal growth. Well, what's personal growth? Like, how are we going to help them grow? Mm, (laughs) You know, there's there's a lot to personal growth. I want to help people be healthier. Okay, well, who do you want to be healthier? You know, is it men or women? Is it older people or is it younger people? Is it pregnant moms? You know, is it kids? Things like that, like, you know, getting a lot clearer. And so the first question is like, what is it that people always come and ask you for help with? You know, they're always asking you for help with that. For me, people are always coming to me and asking me for help on growing their list, starting affiliate marketing, and building an affiliate program. Those are my three things. I, Outside of occasionally where I feel like there's a message that needs to be shared with my audience on my podcast, maybe once, uh, once every six months, uh, I'll, I'll share kind of a more generic message that I feel is important to my audience. But other than that one message, occasionally, I, I'm all in on those three things. Those are the things. Nobody is coming to me asking me for help on anything else. It's all around those three things. Building a list, starting an online business, right? starting affiliate marketing and starting and growing an affiliate program. That's it. So what is it that people are asking you for help with? The second question is, what is it that people say is really interesting about you? Here's the thing. You might be an expert at it, but if you're not interesting, you're never going to build a following. Like there are way too many people in the world that I could go learn from. I could go look at, I can go to YouTube. I can go pull out a textbook. I can read a book about any subject on earth. But if you're not interesting, you know, if you don't have great stories, if you don't have, have a way of communicating that's unique, you know, step three of the book is all about capturing attention. When you talk about standing out, then you're not going to succeed. And, and the example I cite in the book is a guy named Dan Carlin. I don't know if you know who he is, John, but he's got a podcast called Hardcore History. And so I'm a history buff. I read or listen to probably 30 to 40 history books, biographies you know, really big into the American revolution period. You know, I don't know if, what you guys call that over there, but colonial treason or something, <laughs> I don't know, whatever you call it, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know what you call it over there, but like, you know, I'm very fascinated by that because, you know, it's literally 
a group of not very many people getting together, breaking away from the world's greatest empire and forming their own country. Like that's, if you think about it, it's amazing. So I'm really into history. And this guy, Dan Carlin, Dan is not a historian, but he has the world's number one history podcast. Like this podcast has like millions and millions of listeners. And so how did he do that? How did he end up in that position? It was because he would be at Thanksgiving dinner and he'd be telling some obscure story about a World War I soldier. And then he'd be talking about, you know, this and that and Genghis Khan and the, you know, the Celtic Holocaust and all these weird things throughout history. And people are like, Dan, that's really interesting. You're, you do a great job at telling those stories. So he decided to start a podcast around it. And then the third question, this is the one that usually gets people here is, that, that really solidifies it for him is what did you use to struggle with, but now you enjoy success at? So my friend, Alan Thomas is a weight loss coach. And, and Alan is one of those guys, like he's not the weight loss coach that's been fit for 40 years, has all the degrees. He doesn't have a degree in nutrition. He's never attended a class, but he woke up one day, weighed 304 pounds, made a commitment to weigh by a certain date, about 10 months later to weigh 175. And he did it. He lost 129 pounds in about nine, 10 months. And he said, you know what? I can help other people do this. And now he attracts people that are in very similar boats, you know, men in their forties, fifties, and sixties that have been overweight for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Sometimes they come to him and say, Alan, the reason why we came to you is you're not the guy that's been skinny for 30 years. They can't relate to me. They don't understand me. We came to you because you know exactly what it's like to be in our shoes. And so those are the three questions. And when you do that, then you go from there into that ideal customer avatar and you really get clear on who that person is. The rest of it, I'm not going to say it's easy, but from that point forward, you can begin to get strategic and tactical. But if you aren't clear about those things, if you don't know who your audience is, who your avatar is, and you don't actually do the work at the end of the, the each chapter, each of the steps in the book, there are exercises. If you don't actually do the exercises in step one and work your way through those and develop that ideal customer avatar and get so clear on who it is, I can teach you how to capture attention. We can talk about attention triggers. We can talk about how to build your list, how to create raving fans, how to create content, how to monetize, how to condition your audience. But if you don't get step one right, the entire rest of the book is absolutely irrelevant. Now, You've mentioned there about making sure you've got something that you're interesting about or that you've you weren't into and you became into. It's like different ways that you can can find how you focus down what you what it is that you're working on. Mm-hmm. But another angle that you talk about is leadership. And you've got a really different view on what leadership is and who can be a leader. What's yeah. some of the lies and misconceptions around leadership and leaders, do you think? I mean, this is like right in line with you know what you guys teach about, you know course creators, right? No, most people, none of us feel adequate to create a course about something. None of us feel like we're the world's leading expert on that topic. Like I've won four affiliate manager of the year awards since 2010. So, you know, whatever the math is on that, a little bit less than a quarter of them. I went for a period there, I won half of them. So you could argue, wow, if he was four-time affiliate manager of the year, there can't be that many people who know this stuff better than me, right? Mm-hmm. And I still was like, I look out and go, man, that guy, you know, that person's better. And well, that, you know, 5% of my ideas I stole from that person. They should be the one teaching it, but they're not. 
You know, they're not the ones actually teaching it. And even if they were, they're going to teach it from a different perspective. And so we have this misconception about leadership that, that like I've been in the affiliate game, for example, for almost 20 years. Um, I've been in the online business game. I started my first online business in 2002. It's 21 years ago. And we go, well, of course, you know, Matt's an expert. He's been doing it for 21 years. I mean, there aren't many people who've been doing online business longer than me because there really weren't online businesses for very long before that, you know? And so not many people have, you know, built for online businesses from scratch into seven figure businesses. That's just not very normal. And yet at no point did I feel qualified. And so we think that we have to be that though. We have all oh, have to have done something for 20 years. We have to have the letters behind our name, have the degrees and all of that. And we think we have to be two miles down the road. We have to be two miles ahead of our audience. We have to be light years ahead of them. And it's just not true. And I talk about in the book, I, I share the example, like imagine you're on a hike with, you know, you got like this, we all have this one friend who's like the super fit friend, you know, John. And, mm. and if you don't have that friend, it's you, you know, like the weirdo who's like super, super fit. Like all, you don't have to ask him if he does CrossFit because he's already told you three times today. <laughs> and, you know, like he wears bike shorts everywhere, jogs in place at stoplights for no reason whatsoever. Smells like suit mix all the time. Like that guy, like he, like we all have that super fit friend and imagine you're on a hike with him. And every time I tell the story, there's a particular hike I think of. It's in East Tennessee in the mountains, kind of the foothills of East Tennessee. And there's this like two mile stretch where it's pretty flat, but you're along this ledge that honestly, it, any, there are multiple points where one wrong step, you will die. Mm. Now, if you're careful, there's no threat of death. But if you were to not pay attention and take you know, a big step to the right, you're gonna. You're not gonna survive. You're going to be dead. You're gonna fall 800 to 1,000 feet or whatever, 1,500 feet, and you're going to die. And so we think we have to be the friend that imagine this friend that we're on the hike with, and he's two miles ahead of us, and he's yelling back to you and he's saying, "Hey, hurry up!" Well, that's not really leadership there, right? That's not very motivating. Hurry up and watch out for the. Well, what am I supposed to watch out for? I can't hear you, dude. That's not leadership. Leadership, you imagine that same friend, but he stays one step ahead of us and he reaches back and he grabs our hand and says, watch out. This next step is tricky. Be careful. Like that's all that leadership is. And so the problem is leadership is not easy. You know, it's, it, we ask people like, what do you feel about leadership? And they're like, well, it's scary. I'm inadequate. It's hard. It's overwhelming. And the problem with that is it's understandable, but they're normal. But the problem is they're focused on you. They're focused on the leader, not your avatar. Mm. And so, you know, you just have to remember your followers, they need you to lead them. Like you're going to wake up every day and choose to commit to being a leader, which is step two. Somebody out there right now needs you to be their leader. In fact, there are potentially millions, hundreds of thousands or millions of people right now who are waiting for you to guide them. They're waiting for you to just reach out your hand grab theirs and show them where to go. And so we only have to be one step ahead, that one step ahead. And so part of the problem there, John, is like what keeps us from realizing that is just, that, you know, we compare ourselves to others. We look at so-and-so, we look at Tony Robbins, look how good his website looks. Well, he's been around for 30 years. Oh, look at this guy. His podcast has 200,000 downloads and yep, well, he's been doing it for four or five years and he's really, really good at it. 
Uh, well, that person only started a year ago and they're, you know, they're way ahead of me. Uh-huh. And they also had, you know, they were financially independent when they started their platform and you're starting yours with $3,000 and a pack of gum, you know, don't compare yourself to them. Like everybody's at different stages. There's two quotes in the book that I love. These are quotes I've lived by for almost a decade now. The first one's from John Acuff and he says, never compare your beginning to someone else's middle. You know, don't compare where you are and what your website looks like and how your podcast sounds. Like I recorded the first 35, 40 episodes of my podcast into my phone. Mm. I, I literally, I, I bought a windscreen so that it would filter out some of the background noise. I recorded them into my phone. I edited them myself. You know what? Uh, at the end of 40 episodes, I had about 1500, you know, downloads per episode. Over the next 150 episodes, recording into a professional microphone with a professional editor and all these things. You know how many listeners I had at the end of 200 episodes? About 1,800. So all that professional stuff and the setup and the hundreds of dollars, actually, if you include the editing, tens of thousands of dollars that I spent got me an extra 300 people per episode. So was it the content or the perfect sound quality that made the difference? But if I compare myself to Joe Rogan, or, you know, so-and-so, of course, I'm going to go, my podcast doesn't sound as good. Most people don't care. And then the second quote that I love is, is from Stephen Furtick says, the reason we struggle with insecurity is we compare our behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel. Mm. That entrepreneur you see that's got it all together, like, well, me right now, right? I'm talking about this stuff and I'm confident and all these things. Behind the scenes, there was a time four or five years ago when I was really working through this material that I bumbled half those things. That story I told about the hike that I wrote about in the book and you read about it in the book and you hear me tell it now and go, well, you pretty much told that story pretty well. I have a vivid picture of that, that hill and, and the, the concepts. I butchered that story 25 times before I got it right. I left out details, you know, all those things. We compare ourselves to everyone else's highlight reel and we have to stop doing that. We have to realize that same entrepreneur who looks like they've got it all together three years ago was banging their head against their table because they couldn't, they couldn't get the button to align right and click funnels. That same entrepreneur, the podcast sounds so great, recorded their first 30 episodes into their phone. Uh, that, that same entrepreneur who's got a team who does all of their copy and all that used to be up at one o'clock in the morning writing copy too. We compare ourselves and go, well, that person's not up at one o'clock in the morning. They have this great life. They travel, they work from anywhere. And I'm working from a card table in my, you know, in my bedroom. That's where they started too. But you're comparing year seven, you're comparing the highlight reel to your month three and that we can't do that. Yeah. One of the things that I find really helpful is going and spending time with people who are further along in like a, just a social setting or maybe talking about mm -hmm. business at a conference or something and just being like, Oh, they're just a person. That's good. They're doing a hundred yep. million a year and they're still just a person. Okay, cool. Well, in that case, I could probably do that as well. It just like changes mm -hmm. the perspective from, I used to have this, I, it took me a long time to realize this, but I, I had this image in my head of successful business person and they were like fit, and handsome and in good shape and they dressed well and they had their business together and like every like everything when they in their whole life was fabulous and it's probably like from movies or something right because i meet a lot of people who are just absolutely <laughs> crushing it in business and they're like they're overweight or they're socially awkward or they're you know like everyone's got their stuff going on right you know everybody's got all these other things going on 
And it just makes yeah, you go, we, oh, it's fine. It's a person. That's okay. I could be a person. Yeah, we see them up on stage. I mean, you have to remember, like, when they're up on stage, they got their best jeans, their best shirt, their best shoes, their best hair. Like, I mean, I know, I mean, these guys are my friends. Like, I've been in masterminds with them. I was, I'll never forget. I'm not going to mention his name, but we were on a mastermind. And it was the day after one of our members, who's a really high level entrepreneur now, you know, there were five of us that were, we got together every week. All of us are, are still doing what we were doing then. And, you know, super successful, multi seven figure businesses now. And this guy is sitting there on the couch, you know, in a raggedy t-shirt looks like he looked like he was homeless. And it was because he'd had a vasectomy the day before. Oh, God. And he was still on painkillers too. You know, and we look at that and go, we look at his videos and they are polished and perfect. And he's, I've always joked to them. I'm like, dude, you have the best hair in internet marketing, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, all these things. And he's got the collared shirt on. And yet, you know, I've seen him in his raggedy shirt with his hair all, you know, whole, with a bag of frozen peas on his, well, anyway, <laughs> you know, and like, we've like, we've all been there, you know, most of the people I know, if they're not recording, they wear a gym shirt, you know, or t-shirt and gym shorts in mm. their office. Yeah. You know, most of the people I know, while, you know, some of the higher level entrepreneurs, yeah, we might travel a little bit more. I travel now, you know, I take more vacation now uh, than I did five years ago. You know, I've got to the point where like I can take six weeks off a year, but five mm. years ago, I wasn't taking six weeks off and I didn't feel guilty about it. I never went, you know, gosh, Jeff Walker takes, you know, eight weeks off a year and goes, can't, you know, kayaking through the Grand Canyon. And I can't do that. Well, you know what? At that time, I couldn't afford it, number one. And number two, my business wasn't ready for that. Jeff Walker had been doing it for 16 years. I had really only been building my platform for about three. Why should I be at that same level? You know, mm -hmm. but have, yeah, I mean, like to your point, I mean, having hung out with all those guys, you know, I mean, most of, many of them have been clients. Many of them are friends. They are they're literally just regular dudes who have regular problems and sometimes come to me, you know, they, they come to me and ask me for advice. And, uh, and sometimes I'm like, well, who the heck am I? And I'll even preface what I'm saying with like, dude, I don't know if this is the right answer or not, but here's what I would do. And about half the time they're like, well, that's great advice. I'm going to take that. And, and it works, you know, and then the other half, they go ask somebody else who <laughs> gives them better <laughs> advice. But yeah, we're just like, everybody's just to write, like all those people that we look up to. I did a podcast the other day and they asked me, who's my favorite entrepreneur and why? And I said, honestly, I don't have one. You know, like I've learned so much from so many different people. There's no single entrepreneur where I go, they got it all right. Mm. You know, I, I, I look at little pieces of individual entrepreneurs and pull what I want from them. And, you know, the reality is even, even the ones we look at that are quote unquote iconic, like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. Like I've, I've hung around with those guys, you know, Kevin Harrington, who invented the infomercial and the original shark from Shark Tank. You know, we look at Shark Tank and it's like, ooh, these are the, these are the entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs. Like these, are, Kevin's just a dude, mm. you know, like he's got his own insecurities because he's like five, six, you know, I'm not picking on him. Like he'd be the first, he's admitted it publicly. Like he's conscious about his height. Oh my gosh. He's a shark from Shark Tank. How could he have, be conscious about anything? but he is, he's just a dude. It's really, it's kind of, kind of fascinating. Like just hanging out with people like that. And it's like, they're just regular people. Mm. I want to switch gears a little bit here and talk about email lists. I know that you're going to be equally passionate about this. 
So everybody talks a lot about social media and, you know, growing up a YouTube audience. And yet emails are still really important. We talk about that a lot on this channel, the importance of having a big email list of like converting your social media audience to email. Could you talk from your perspective? Why do you think it's so important to build an email list? I mean, it's here's the thing. Here we are in 2023. A little fun exercise. If you want to know people who say email marketing is dying or email is is dead, go back on Google. You can say, show me search results from a period of time to a period of time. Run a report in 2005 for email. Email marketing is dead. Their email is dead. There'll be thousands of results. Run it in 2006. Same thing. Thousands of results. 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, so on and so forth. Experts have gotten up on stage late 2000s and said, this is the death of email marketing. You know what the death of email marketing was? MySpace. <laughs> you know what the death of email marketing was before that? RSS feeds. How many people use an RSS feed today? Regularly. Very few. They've been saying this for 20 years. It's like Zig Ziglar said, economists have successfully predicted 22 of the last two recessions. Yeah. Same with email marketing. It's not going anywhere. It is still the most powerful form of marketing we have. Oh, but there's text marketing now. Yep, that is picking up. You know what's still a hundred times bigger email marketing. Mm. Call me when text marketing is even one fifth of the size of email marketing. Will that happen? Maybe. I think it personally will get to somewhere in the neighborhood of 10% of email marketing probably by 2030, 2032. You know what the number one driver of our text subscribers is? Email. <laughs> Most of my text subscribers became text subscribers because we included something in an email to drive them to subscribe to our text updates. Mm. So even then, right now for us, it's about 1 60th of the size and about 1 40th of the engagement. So it does have a little bit higher engagement rate, about a 50% higher engagement rate. But most of those subscribers didn't come from social. They didn't come from just out in the ether. They came from us emailing them after they joined our list and saying, go get this bonus by texting such and such to such and such and, and subscribing, you know, that way to our, to our text list. And so, yeah, it's, it's the king. Now, the reasons, I mean, the reasons why it worked, I mean, number one, you, you develop that deeper connection with your audience, you know, social media, everybody knows, like, even though it's, my Facebook feed. Nobody thinks that I'm hand delivering all my emails to my list. You know, that I'm like typing out an individual email and sending, you know, 34,000 or whatever individual emails. We all know it's a blast, but it's in our inbox. And the thing about it is in our inbox, it's our inbox. Nobody else can see that inbox versus Facebook. It's public. And even though it's our feed, it's still public. So it's just a deeper connection. Mm. Uh, you're guaranteed to be seen. I mean, you know, the stats show that, you know, Facebook posts roughly five to 8% um, for pages. It's more like two to 3% of posts are ever even seen. You know, there's an algorithm that determines whether or not it shows up. And I know we all know that, but if we ever thought about just, that means that I have to post 30 things for the average follower to see one or two. Yikes. You know, that's pretty intense. Email, it's guaranteed to be seen. Now, did I say it's guaranteed to be opened? No, but it's at least guaranteed to be seen 
in their inbox. They're going to see my name. Even if they say that's not for me, they click the little box and click the, the trash can and call it a day. I'm at least guaranteed to be seen. Uh, the third thing we all know, but we can segment, you know, social media. I can't say only show this post to people who've purchased one of my courses or only show this post to people who uh, clicked on the last email, only show this post to people who've registered for the webinar. You know, it's sent to literally everyone. Now, everyone mm. that actually the algorithm decides, but with email, we can segment. And so, of course, I mentioned earlier, I help people with three things, basically growing their list, starting affiliate marketing, and then two parts of growing an affiliate program, starting one from scratch and then scaling it from there. I know where people are at on their journey. You cannot simultaneously tell me you have zero subscribers and you want to scale an affiliate program. You know, uh, you can simultaneously tell me you have zero subscribers and you want to start an affiliate program. Those two can run in conjunction, but you can't be on both extremes there. Right. And so we know where people are at and we help them where they're at by segmenting. Um, the fourth, this is the big one for me is you allow them to opt out of campaigns. So like uh, we're promoting things right now, for example, one of our clients, a guy named Blake Brewer, he was on the Today Show yesterday in the US. His traffic went from an average of about 800 viewers a day to like over 50,000 yesterday because of that appearance. The Today Show is one of the big morning shows over here that, you know, millions of people watch, right? So he was featured on the Today Show, big, big deal. Uh, he's in parenting niche. He teaches people how to write a, what's called the legacy letter. This is a letter that you give to, you know, that basically you write and it's given to your kids after you pass away. And he teaches people how to do that. Well, that has nothing to do with online marketing, but I believe so much in his message that I sent it out to my list saying, I think you should you know, sign up for his webinar. But I put in the email, if you're not a parent, this webinar is not for you. Or if you just, if you've already written a legacy letter or you don't have any interest in this, click here and you can opt out of future emails. I said, because I believe so much in this, I'm going to send a few more emails about this over the next week. But if you don't want to receive them, just click here. And it allows them to self-select. I can't do that on social media. Mm. And there's so many other ways that you can, you know, like opt-outs, like things, anytime I'm going to promote something heavily, I provide an opt-out or even like specific content. Like I'll send out emails when I'm not sure where you're at in your journey, or you may want to start, like we think, you know, a year ago, you opted in as someone who wants to start affiliate marketing. The assumption is that a year later, you will be at the next step. So we'll start to filter that content into you. But if you say, I'm not here yet, Matt, like we'll say like, hey, if you're not interested in content about, you know, starting an affiliate program, click here. For the next three to six months, we'll delete them out of that segment. They will not receive anything about starting an affiliate program for three to six months. And there's some period of time, I think it's like 140 days and like 140 days later, we'll basically test the waters again. And they might go, yep, I want to do that. Perfect. Now they're in on it, but we allow them to opt out. And then fifth, you own the connection. I mean, I know you talk about this all the time, John, like you're renting Facebook, you're renting LinkedIn. Um, I just got banned from LinkedIn. I did not do anything wrong. Nobody for the life of us. We have no idea what I, I don't even post to LinkedIn. I literally hadn't even logged into LinkedIn in two months. And I tried to log in because there, somebody had sent me a message on Twitter saying, hey, it's kind of weird. I sent you a message. It was somebody I cared about. And they're like, well, I sent you a message on LinkedIn. There's no big deal. I ended up just saying, hey, email me because I never got your LinkedIn message. But I'm like, let me go log into LinkedIn. And they're like, your account's been banned. 
what the heck did I do? And I go back and forth with them because I have, you know, thousands, probably 10,000 connections. And I've been on LinkedIn since 2006, I think. And they're like, nope, this is final. You can't recoup your account. Like, well, screw you. But the thing is, um, I was renting those connections. I, I didn't own them. So I have no right to be, you know, I have no right. What, what expectation should I have to be able to use LinkedIn? It's their site. If they want to kick me off, they can. But ConvertKit or whoever you use for email can't just delete your contacts. They can ban you from using their particular service, which is a whole other thing, which is why once a week as a company, we download our list. We always have a backup, but you own that connection. You own the list mm -hmm. versus social media. So those are the big reasons why you, you got to build that email list. Beautiful. Matt, thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate you sharing so much wisdom with everybody about how this all works. If someone wants to actually go read the book, which is the next obvious step, right? Yeah. Like, okay, go read the book, learn more about this whole process and how you can turn your passions into profits. Where can they go? Where's the place to go? Give us all the yeah. details. Yeah, that is the next step, John, because that's going to walk you through that, you know, step one and those questions and how do I get clear on that? ideal customer and commit to leading. We'll talk about capturing attention. One of my favorite parts in there is about standing out in the marketplace. Step four, we just talked about why you need an email list. Well, how do you actually start it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's what yeah. the rest of step four is. Walk you all the way through, you know, step nine is commit to monetizing. And that's the important thing. We talk about how to get started with affiliate marketing to be able to test things out. You know, if you're going to create a course one day, this is what I did is I tested out a few different niches kind of like sub niches, promoting affiliate offers that told me what courses to eventually create. Mm -hmm. And also I learned what price points to promote at. And I learned how to sell and things like that. So we walk you through all of that in the book. You can get it anywhere they sell books, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's in stores in the U S I'm not, I know it's in stores in Canada as well. I'm not sure about overseas, but it's in stores in barn, most Barnes and Nobles, lots of small stores, Target, if, if, if they can get it on Target, if they sell books, they sell mine. But the best place to get it, guys, passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash Ainsworth. And I know you'll put that in the show notes for people, John. But passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash Ainsworth. Uh, when you go there, we've got a bunch of special bonuses, over $500 in extra bonuses to kind of really take the learnings from the book to the next level. There's some stuff that, you know, as we edited the book down, we just couldn't include. So we provided that as bonuses some bonus courses and, and other materials over an additional 10 plus hours and audio trainings. So all of that, you get those as bonuses when you go to passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash Ainsworth. Beautiful. All right. I've made a note of that. We're going to have that in the show notes. So just click the link below as well and you'll be good to go. Matt, thanks again. Really appreciate your time today. If you found this interview useful and you want to get future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listened. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your attention. And Matt, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, John.